Hello and welcome to the 21st Rewrite, the podcast about screenplays and the process of writing them. I'm William Coldwell, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend and co-host, Alan Vasquez, that is moi. Today we are going to be talking about the 2020 Academy Awards. Uh, we're going to be dissecting two categories, adapted screenplays and original screenplays. We thought it would be a really cool venture to see what they thought were the 10 best screenplays of last year. And we did read nine of the screenplays. We did not get a chance to read Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino because it's not available. Uh, but we did watch all 10 films. That's right. So we're going to take each one of them, consider them on their own merits and also collectively as almost a competition trying to think how the Academy judges themselves might have picked their winners, which we now know who the winners are. While we were researching, Alan, which two screenplays were standing out to you as your preferred choices for the Oscars? Well, you know, funnily enough, this is actually the first time I can remember I'm actually 100% agreeing with the choices they made, which was Parasite for original screenplay and Jojo Rabbit for adapted screenplay. I thought... Those were my picks, and I'm, I'm very glad that those were the ones that won. But honestly, all these scripts were really great, you know. Uh, getting to see the different styles of writing, to see the different stories that are being told, I thought was a really great journey for me as a writer to, you know, get to do this uh, bit of homework and reading all these scripts. But actually, yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree with their choices. I do think that... If maybe I'll wait for the original screenplay category, but I really do think The Lighthouse was an amazing script. And it's kind of sad that it got overlooked for a couple of other scripts that I don't think had the same level of quality for me. I agree with you entirely. And I think it's only a matter of time until a Negus Brothers script does get nominated. For sure. It's probably the fact that they are still quite new to the world of cinema. They're not quite household names yet, but based on The Witch and then The Lighthouse, which we took a deep look at in one of our own episodes, mm -hmm. they are undoubtedly some of the best writers around right now. No, the script was absolutely enthralling and it was very unique in the way it was crafting the story and crafting the characters that it does and the way it's kind of unfolding. I think it's a very unique script. But what were your picks for these two categories? Honestly, I thought hands down Parasite had to win for Best Original. Mm -hmm. It was one of the most gripping screenplays I've ever read. However, my personal preference for Best Adapted Screenplay was The Two Popes. I thought it was a little bit deeper and a little bit more profound than Jojo Rabbit. However, Jojo Rabbit is one of my favorite films of the last year. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and if it wasn't going to get another Oscar, at least it got the best adapted screenplay. There is a lot of talent behind Taika Waititi's writing, and he did a phenomenal job of making a very serious subject very engaging and very humorous. Mm. Yeah, no, actually, it was between The Two Popes and Jojo Rabbit for me, because what the two popes does with just two characters and basically just a conversation, which, I mean, we'll get more into that when we get to that film specifically. But I agree with you. Yeah, that was definitely up there for sure. So we're going to start out with the best adapted screenplays first. We'll do a quick rundown of each one of them, what we particularly enjoyed about them, 
We're also going to try and look at it a little bit through our regular lens, character, dialogue, plot, story, themes. And another thing we're thinking about including more recently as well as tone. Mm -hmm. So we're going to keep an eye on all of these things, but these are going to be quite quick summaries. This will be a spoiler-free episode, but there will have to be some discussion of the, the content of each of the screenplays. So if you don't want okay. to know anything about right. the film, I think you'd have to stop listening. But I think we can avoid revealing the endings to, to all of these quite simply. Presumably most listeners have seen the films but won't have read all of the screenplays, and we can give them a bit of an idea of what's going on on the page. Okay, so the one I wanted to start out with is The Irishman. This was written by Stephen Zalian. We have taken a look at one of his screenplays before, which was Moneyball, and we looked at that with special guest Hayden Jackson-Evans. We looked at that one not only in terms of looking at the real story behind Moneyball and the fact that it was based on a book by Michael Lewis, but we also looked at the fact that it was originally a Stephen Zalian draft that we were able to read that then fell into the hands of Aaron Sorkin and changed dramatically. Mm -hmm. So in this case, we're getting a real sense of Stephen Zalian as a writer just for himself. Mm -hmm. I think I'd start out by saying about The Irishman, it was much more fun to read the screenplay than to watch the film because the pacing changes dramatically. This is not the longest screenplay out of the 10. No, and it's the longest film out of all these films. That that was the one thing that struck me. The, the, the script is, I think, 140 pages or so, and that roughly translates to a two-and-a-half-hour film. The film was like nearly three-and-a-half hours long, I think. And that is something that I... It's when you see sort of how a director takes a script and kind of really makes it their own and really embellishes and, you know, kind of adds or takes away a lot of stuff. But I think when it comes to just the pacing, I did, I enjoyed both for what they are. I think it is a much faster pacing reading the script. But nonetheless, I think the, the same sort of story is there, which is kind of what makes the film really good for me, which is. It's taking a genre that we all know. It's taking you know a story about the mob and and kind of taking it somewhere where we really haven't gone before, which is about consequences and and regrets and 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 I think that's something that we haven't really seen. So I really did feel that the script and the story in general was something that was very special. So one of the strengths for me was character. I think the characters are really well expressed, and this is a one reason to study this screenplay is how well Stephen Zalian gives you a sense of character through their very minor preoccupations. That's something that became very apparent to me on the page. The fact that all of these characters have their codes that they will live by. Mm -hmm. uh, Russell, the way he won't let anyone smoke in his car. How Jimmy Hoffa loves ice cream but won't drink and gets upset when anyone is late or not properly dressed for a meeting. Mm. The way that Peggy picks up on the tiny signals that her father reveals about himself that makes her deeply afraid of him. All of this stuff was really easy and clear to see when it was written out in that screenplay format. It certainly gives you that same sense in the film, mm -hmm. but it's nice to see how some of these details were not just performance. They were very clearly established into the characters f through the writing. It's a very character-driven film, and I think that's what when you first start reading it and when you watch the film, it kind of starts off as a sort of Goodfellas type of tone. 
And then it sort of evolves into something a little bit more profound, I think, and a little bit more subtle and a little bit more about the characters themselves. I think what I really admire about the story, because this is something that we've talked about in adapted screenplays, is that like, where do you draw the line if it's based on a true story? This is based on a book that's then based on something that did happen. Uh, since the release of the book, and especially since the release of the film, there has been a lot of things questioned, a lot of things proven not to be true. And it's that sort of you know battle of like, well, is it worth changing things to make the story better? Because the story, how it is written, is a great story. It's a sort of Greek tragedy. It's, it's a very profound film. Is it worth changing these little details to make a, a story as powerful as it can be? Well, some of my thoughts on dialogue actually tie into that because I thought the dialogue was brilliantly written. It really had that colorful gangster epic feel mm -hmm. throughout the script, but also the fact that a lot of the dialogue is narration and it's coming from Frank and you are meant to trust Frank's retelling of the events. And he's this 80 year old man at the point where he's telling you the story. Mm. We know he's becoming a little bit disconnected, a little bit senile. He might not be remembering things the right way either. So the, in a way, that use of narration, the fact that it's drawing us into this being Frank's story as opposed to a film where the camera is set apart and we're a fly on the wall observing the events, mm -hmm. might also help understand that this is not entirely the whole truth this is one person's perspective on the truth that's true i actually i hadn't thought about it that way he could just be senile and <laughs> and you know sort of changing some details uh yeah no i totally can see that and that's inherent in the whole use of dialogue it's it's a very clever usage to have this narration and i think it's very easy to see it on the page in the screenplay format just how much information is given to us through the characters also, a lot of the exposition, which is a tough thing to do, we, as writers, we know this, how do we give all the information we want to give without it sounding like we're mm -hmm. trying to tell the audience something? There's something about that whole gangster tone of the way that so much is disguised and the meaning is disguised because they're talking in code, that it doesn't feel like exposition. Mm -hmm. It's like the guy went missing. I don't know what happened to him. And we know that they know. And that whole way that we know what they're trying to tell us without them telling us is a nice way to give us a lot of exposition without it feeling burdensome that's true they got they got lucky in that way <laughs> so yeah no good for them I, I honestly thought it was a it deserved to be among the five it was a great script especially because it adapted something that again like i said it's a very tricky material and i think it it, it evolves into a very powerful story yeah, and as you mentioned about the whole topic of adaptation and being faithful, there is a lot going on here. It's a real triumph for a screenwriter to weave together so many complex historical events and try and make sense of this as part of a larger narrative. Mm -hmm. So it does have to be selective, and most of the details are not superficial. When you read the script, and it's all compressed into this 140 pages as opposed to what we might have assumed were 200 pages mm -hmm. for the runtime of the film, you actually realize just how streamlined a lot of the information you get actually is. Mm -hmm. The story itself has a strong identity. It's tying together these various Scorsese themes. 
Catholicism and its coexistence with this mob culture. And also the key themes about morality, aging, mortality, the criminality at the heart of American politics. There's so much mm -hmm. in this. Of course, we could do a whole podcast on on every single one of these, as we regularly do. We do break down a whole screenplay, and we won't have time for it today. But The Irishman, in the written form, certainly made me feel like there's a lot there to uncover, a lot to investigate in terms of where did these stories come from? How implicated were the mob in Kennedy's assassination is something that Russell just has a throwaway line about it. And it kind of raises questions that you wouldn't normally raise. There's a lot going on in, in the screenplay. And uh, yeah, as a result, I was very impressed by what Stephen Salian had done, the amount of research that must have gone into it, the way it felt very seamless and easy to read. However, I can also see why it wasn't selected as the best adapted screenplay as well, considering the competition in the category. Yeah, and, and I could see why it turned into a three and a half hour film, because like you said, there's so much there to unpack and to sort of explore and in a visual medium. And when you have Martin Scorsese and the best cinematographer and, and the best actors, you, you could see how they were able to stretch it. And for me personally, I didn't think it was stretched too much. I really did enjoy the whole three and a half hours. How about we move on to Little Women next? Little Th Women, yes. This is a difficult screenplay for me. For me, this was out of the nine that we read, the hardest one for me to read. It didn't really grip me. I didn't find it that easy to, to read it. And I think most of my comments on this will be trying to break down why I thought that was. What I could certainly tell right from the very beginning is just how passionate Greta Gerwig was about this story. Mm -hmm. She definitely had a real passion for the book a real passion for the characters. She said that Joe Marsh is the character who made her want to become a writer. It is a love letter to her childhood and to the inspiration she was getting from this particular book and this particular character. It's a very classic book, and it's been done, I think, six or seven times before this film. So it's not the first time that this film has been made. I will admit I have seen none of them. This is my first introduction to this story of Little Women. And like you, it wasn't a page turner for me. What kept me going, I think, was the underlying themes that I kind of identified almost immediately and the dynamic between the sisters. I think the the relationship between them, all this like little nuances that they have, I think was very easy for me to sort of latch on to. I think that's what made the film appealing. I think that's what the story has going for it is the relationship between these characters that is intriguing because it's, it's, it's not about plot per se. It's more about the unfolding of these relationships. And it's sort of a, a take a look at a certain type of life that was a hundred years ago. But even though it was a hundred years ago, it has resonance today because of its themes. So I enjoyed the script. I wouldn't say it was my favorite, but I, I do feel the passion is there and the way that it was split between two different timelines was very, I think that's kind of what helped me be more into it as well. Because you're seeing two different versions of these characters simultaneously. You're seeing their before and their after sort of. So I think that was what kind of kept me going as well. Maybe basic isn't the right word, but the story itself, 
Of course, it's been told a lot of times, and a lot of works have been inspired by it as well. And so it feels familiar. So maybe it's not entirely holding as many surprises as a completely original screenplay might have. It, the story is mainly about a woman who wants to become a writer, and she does. That's kind of the heart of it. And then the plot itself, this kind of goes back to the faithfulness in adaptation question again. I can't help but feel that if she'd focused a little bit more on livening up the plot rather than just playing around with the timeline, it might have captured the spirit of a book in a different way. It didn't feel like there was very much at stake, and then that ties into my thoughts about the characters. It's entirely character-driven, as, mm -hmm. as I've mentioned. There's not much in the way of plot and story, so it depends on the characters and the dynamic between the characters. And all the characters feel like individuals. They all have their different goals and ambitions and interests. But beyond that, essentially everyone is too nice to each other. There's very little conflict and tension in the scenes. And that's kind of what I'm getting at when I'm saying something could have been done to liven up the plot a bit. Mm. It's just that kind of, on the page at least, I'm not talking about the film which has its own energy, and this is certainly the case every time there's a writer who knows they're going to direct the project they're writing. Mm. They know what they're going to put on screen, and it doesn't quite come across on the page in exactly the same way. The dialogue felt a little bit stale on the page, and it made it hard for me to separate the characters because when you're writing a historical piece or a period piece, you have to really separate those characters clearly because if everyone's talking in an old-timey version of English, it's mm. harder for the reader to differentiate them. Of course, when you've got different actors portraying them in a different way, giving intonation to the speech, it brings that back to life. That's what helped with me. I literally had like the notes on the side. Okay, that one's Emma Watson. That one's Cersei Ronan. So they were kind of speaking in my head a little bit. So that kind of did help. But I, I see what you mean. It feels more of a meditation rather than like this gripping tale uh, in a way. But, I, you know, like I said, I think the thing that I most admired about the film is that there were little nuances, I think, within these scenes of, of conflict that is seemingly superficial between, you know, these girls coming into womanhood and specifically sisters. And I, I feel there's there's a lot of truth in these subtleties, I think, that speaks volumes for what's a deep-rooted traits that these characters have. And I think, you know, once you see the film, they really come to life because mm -hmm. I honestly thought the actress did an amazing job at portraying that as well. So that's, I think, what the strength of the, the script. I can't really say if it was a faithful adaptation. Like I said, I haven't seen the films or read the book. So I can't really speak to that. But it doesn't necessarily make me want to read the book. <laughs> but but yeah, that that's sort of my, my take on the script. Yeah. The other thing, just to add as a final note, I felt that the strongest parts of Greta Gerwig's writing were hidden away in action lines that were impossible to put on screen. She regularly described the internal emotional mm. journey of the characters in a really beautiful way. Mm -hmm. Yet that's not in the dialogue and it's not in the action lines. And that was, for me, the tough part about reading this is I could see how much passion was behind it, but I've worried about it as a screenplay, as itself, that it wasn't able to lift a lot of that off the page in the same way. It 
required the director to be very aware of what she was planning out in the screenplay, as opposed to handing over this screenplay to someone. They would look at it and say, there's a lot of great stuff here, but I'm not really sure what to do with it. That's a really good point you just made, because as screenwriters, you know, we always want to make sure that the actions are speaking the truth of these characters because, you know, actions speak louder than words. And like you were saying, like, you know, all these descriptions of their inner emotional life is great for an actor who might be reading this and, oh, I get what this person's going through and I know how to maybe do the scene now. So it's a good sort of blueprint for the acting. But I wonder if that maybe could have been a block to further deepen the characters and the actions because you're not making it through the action. So it's almost like one step away from maybe going a little bit more subtle or a little bit more deeper. So I kind of see a little bit of what you're saying there. Next, let's move on to Joker, which was written by Todd Phillips and Scott Silver. Joker is a project itself. I've been going back and forth on it ever since I saw it. Mm -hmm. I think it is the most controversial film from this year's nominees, certainly, because of what's at the heart of it. It's a villain story. You are meant to or almost unintentionally end up being forced to sympathize with the villain for a big part of this screenplay. Mm -hmm. But let's get into it. I think the writing was very, very strong in Joker. Incredibly strong. I came out of the film, I've only seen it once. I felt like I was seeing it again, reading the script, because it was so detailed in its actions. Every movement had an intention, had a purpose. Every movement had a revelation of the character. It's a complete character-centered story. This is really the story of a man with mental illness completely unraveling before our eyes. And I didn't realize how profound it was until I read the script. I mean, I, I, I took away from it a lot when I saw the film, but reading it was a completely different journey or another journey of the same story. Because certain moments of the film made more sense. Certain scenes, certain pieces of dialogue had much more weight. And it made the whole journey of this man becoming Joker by the end, or becoming who he is by the end, way more realistic for me. Like, I get why he did the things that he did. And I feel like it wasn't necessarily forced It has a removed objective approach to this character. There's a lot of empathy there, but there's also a lot of objectiveness, I feel. I don't think it's necessarily trying to force you to make you feel sorry for him, but I think just by the very nature of what the story is, I think you can't help but feel for what this guy is going through. I loved it. I thought it was a great script. I was surprised how much I loved it reading it. Yeah, there's a strong sense that it's trying to hold up a mirror. Mm -hmm. It's suggesting that this kind of evil can be fostered by society as a result of negligence, as a result of a lack of empathy, as a result of a cutthroat way of living. There's a very nihilistic tone as well as a very grim tone. It's tackling these themes, mental illness, inequality, what is personal responsibility, what is society's responsibility. And the dialogue was very strong as well. Mm. It felt authentic to a comic book world, to the kind of more adult style of graphic novel. And thinking about character, I mean, it is a character study. It's a character 
study of the title character of Joker, of Arthur Fleck. And going back to what we were just briefly thinking about with The Irishman, about unreliable narrators, this is entirely third person, and a lot of the scenes are unreliable. Mm. We are also experiencing some of the delusions Mm -hmm. that he is having and witnessing them as a removed party. And some of it is difficult to unpack. And having that screenplay format, knowing what's going on in the scenes, doesn't help with that. You're included in the screenplay in the the world of Arthur Fleck as well. So it was a very enjoyable read. So watching the film of Joker, I always thought it was perhaps suggesting it was a little bit more substantial than it actually was. And I have that feeling a little bit still, but the screenplay, it definitely made me appreciate the extent to which the writing was very tight. It was really careful about its focus and its plot. Even if it's a villain story that for me isn't the triumph that it feels like it is right at the end of the film, it's really well written. In terms of writing this kind of story, it is a masterclass in how you could write this kind of story. Yeah, and I went into the film, when I watched the film, it didn't even feel like it was a comic book film. You know, it didn't, it felt more like, it was inspired by Taxi Driver. Yes. Uh, I think Todd Phillips has mentioned that before. So I never, not the only times I felt like, all oh, right, this is about a comic book character was when Bruce Wayne showed up and... And and I, I very briefly, and with very little to do with the actual story in a way, uh, that it, it reminded me of that he was part of that universe. It was it could have been any character in any city. That that's what I loved about the film, and that's my bone to pick too with the Academy a little bit. Is like it doesn't feel like it should qualify as an adapted screenplay because this is a wholly original story except they're using a character that has been established in you know films and comic books and other things before but never in this specific way never in this specific story yeah, so it is very much just inspired by right and the the first page of the screenplay makes it very clear that this takes place in a completely different universe to the other dc films right. that's their intention setting out part of the disappointment for me is almost that there is a real hard-hitting drama there mm-hmm. that could be told without the comic book characters. And the sad fact is the money's in the comic book characters. Joaquin Phoenix can win an Oscar for best performance for this mm. and struggle with You Were Never Really Here, with The Master, with other performances of his which have been so phenomenal, but they don't get that widespread recognition mm-hmm. that they get... If it's a comic book film, that's the the issue underlying it for me. There's a great film or a great alternative story inside this that is just being told through the lens of these characters. And we have to make our minds up, I think, as individuals over the extent to which we're happy that DC and Marvel are gonna, going to dominate storytelling for the foreseeable future. That's a good point, and that's, uh, I can really get into that conversation. But I think the positive thing about it is, uh, for me, I, I I personally really 
believe that you know films can really change perspective or can offer different perspectives and i do feel like the subject of mental illness is something that i personally feel very passionate about and i think it's something that has become a little bit less taboo to talk about which is great so i think it's almost like a a huge blessing to have because it made over a billion dollars so millions of people went to go watch this movie so because it was the joker so it was almost like because of that now people who were normally not exposed to this kind of storytelling were now exposed to this kind of storytelling which i think that's a great thing it was almost like a a sort of a, a seduction into a type of story that most audiences wouldn't watch i mean take away the name joker this movie would not have made like 20 million dollars you know what i mean so i think it was great that in a way it used that character as a tool to tell the story of i think the story of millions of people across I mean, the world. Let's move into The Two Popes. This is a perfect mm. segue. A film which made less than a million dollars at the box office. It's a Netflix production released on the same day worldwide through Netflix streaming service with a very, very small theatrical run to get it to qualify for Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. This is on a budget, we believe, of about $40 million dollars. So we're understanding Netflix's business model here. But it's exactly the the opposite. It's exactly that kind of film that is written with a passion. It's an original, even though it's adapted. This, for me, is closer to the Steve Jobs adaptation by Aaron Sorkin. It's, Feels similar. it's very inventive. Mm -hmm. And it's very much about trying to take inspiration from the spirit of these two characters, Bergoglio and, and Ratzinger, as opposed to really trying to define exactly what happened because there wasn't much there in the first place. Well, what I loved about it, and, it, and I wish that Netflix would release their numbers because who knows, maybe a lot of people did watch it, but they, they, I think they don't release that, that information. But I think what the major appeal to me was and i think to most people that have seen it because it's a very entertaining film and i think that's what makes the script so amazing because it's literally two old dudes talking to each other about religion about politics about humanity there's very little action it's it's very simply it feels like a conversation between two perspectives that's essentially it you have two perspectives coming head to head with each other and them coming to an understanding of each other opening up to each other and discovering surprises of each other. I think that was what was so brilliantly done that you got two very well-developed characters. I mean, they're based on real people, but for the purpose of this script, they developed their own specific personalities. And they were so well-written that their subtle jabs at each other spoke volumes as to where they stand politically, spiritually, all of that. And it was just an absolute delight to read. It was, it was great. For me, both characters were truly enjoyable to be around. They felt alive. They felt opinionated, charismatic. They felt deeply affected by their pasts and also open enough to engage with their roles in history. These are really strong characters. The story itself, as you mentioned, change comes through conversation. It's long, it's dialogue heavy, and then the evolution of character makes sense through those scenes. Ultimately, this is also a redemption story, as much for Ratzinger as it is for Bergoglio. Mm -hmm. 
both of these characters have their troubled pasts that they're coming to terms with, and we get enough time with them to listen and to offer our ears and become sympathetic towards both of them. I think the dialogue was very effective in teaching us what we needed to know, and there was this very intelligent humor all the way throughout, and it was full of witticisms. And the use of so many languages, which was done, that's a very rare thing to see in a screenplay, that all of the dialogue had been translated into Latin, German, Italian, Spanish, as well as having the the accompaniment of the English by the side for us to continue reading if we didn't speak any of those languages. That was so, so much fun. It, it felt so special. Yes. Exactly. It, it felt like a very special project. The plot is very basic. The outline must have seemed terrifyingly thin for Anthony McCartan mm. because very little happens and it's such recent news that we're pretty aware as an audience of where this is going to go plot-wise. But it tackled its themes really well. I was surprised at how well it handled its what I think is its key theme of the Catholic Church's place in today's world. It mm-hmm. didn't feel like it was preaching. It had this redemption, ambitions, idealism, conservatism versus progressiveness, all of that kind of bundled up together. And it was, for me, it was my own personal pick for best adapted screenplay as a screenplay. I think the film itself sometimes struggles to capture the ambition of the written script, Mm. but as a screenplay, it was just such a joy to read. And um, yeah, I certainly think that Anthony McCartan's really outdone himself with this, this piece of writing. Well, it was great. And and going back to, you know, the outline that you were talking about, how it would have seemed very thin. I would almost think that every piece of dialogue or every piece of conversation in itself is a story, is its own like bullet points and beats because they're constantly changing their place of conversation, you know. And I think, you know, they're constantly moving from his like vacation house, the Pope's vacation house, and then they go to the Vatican. And, and so I think every location in itself has its own story. And also you're dealing with, you know, the flashbacks as well, which is telling another sort of redemption story. So, I mean, the way it was interweaved was just flawless. It just flowed very well because it was the unraveling of one character slower than the other because when we get to the two of them ratzinger you know he seems to be a certain type of way but then the more we learn about borgoglio you kind of see a little bit more of um you start to see the dents in his in his story as well and then it ends up becoming a redemption for himself as well so i I liked how it kind of swapped not that you're rooting for one or the other but it it does kind of give you a, a a more layered portrayal of of both yeah and i think we'll talk shortly about marriage story and the parallels that i think we can find with with that as well Mm -hmm. so finally the eventual winner of the academy award for best adapted screenplay was jojo rabbit by taika waititi it's a wonderful screenplay as we've already said at the start it fully deserved the award Mm -hmm. i i loved the film i thought i saw the film first and it was just such a joy. Actually, my brother told me, he's like, you know, you should probably watch the film first because it, it visually, the performances, it just really brings the script to life in, in such a joyous way. And it was such a, the story itself is such a surprising 
experience because it has this very quirky tone at the very beginning and you kind of it's a comedy but it also has some dramatic elements to it but it then it really hits hard in a couple scenes you know where it really hits you where it's definitely not very comedic and it, it brings i think a bit more of a nuance to the storytelling I think it kind of elevates it from just, you know, another sort of quirky indie film with, you know, colorful characters and it's kind of like a caricature. And it has some sort of commentary on a particular historical time. But more than that, it really becomes about the journey of a young character, Jojo, and the evolution of his character and the evolution of his ideas and what he believes to be true and 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 how that changes through meeting this other character who he's sort of been trained to not like. And I think that story in itself is beautiful. And, and the way it was written was so inventive and new. And it's a story we've seen, read many times, but it was told in a way that really makes it uh, really special. Yeah, the overall story to me is that of the 10-year-old boy really coming to realize who he is, how to think for himself, despite all of the efforts of society, which in this particular time period is obviously in, intending to trick him into being a certain way. And that maturity that evolves throughout the story is very difficult to place. It, it's, that's one of the strengths of the writing, is this slow evolution as a character of Jojo into growing into who he really is, not who he's being told he is or who he believes he is. He and his mother are really well-rounded, sympathetic individuals. It's easy for us to invest ourselves in their story. As you said, most of the supporting cast is really zany, really colorful, including the Fuhrer himself, played by Taika Waititi. Brilliantly. But it doesn't detract from the message. In fact, it strengthens it. Looking at the dialogue, it's a modern film. It's for an audience that is not innately familiar with Nazi Germany, but really with the tropes and the stereotypes of Nazi Germany. And so the dialogue itself is very 21st century, but it's so funny and often entirely hilarious that mm -hmm. it just keeps you in, enraptured in the world of the film, which is filled with childlike wonder. It's got its great comedic tone, and as you mentioned, it doesn't pull back when it has something important to say. So I can't disagree with it winning the Academy Award. It was one of my favorite films of the year. I saw it, uh, it was the opening film at the San Diego Film Festival, so it was the first one of all of these that I saw. Mm. And it left a big impression on me. Just in terms of screenwriting, I do think that The Two Popes was intellectually a little bit more deeper and maybe more technically impressive as a feat of writing. But this is a very deserved winner in a very tight category, considering all the screenplays we've just talked about. Yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very happy that it won. I think, uh, you know, even the zany characters did have end up having more depth at the end too. Absolutely, which was yeah, really, they, they were there to make statements. Yeah, which I was not expecting. You know, it 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 was a it was a lot of different uh, stylistic choices kind of coming together into its own little thing. So it was wonderful. So that's it for the adapted screenplays. Let's take a look at the original screenplays now. And we might as well just start out with our, our quick Passover Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I do think eventually we will get to read a copy of the script. The rumor is that even during the production and pre-production, there was already talk about this screenplay, that 
Quentin Tarantino only had one copy of it, that yeah. he was having the actors come into his living room to read it mm-hmm. in his presence so that this could not get spoiled. It could not get distributed. It was under lock and key. So clearly there's been, I, I assume that a version of the screenplay was available to the Academy judges in order to make their decision. But it certainly hasn't made its way onto the internet. People are asking for it. Tarantino has a lot of fans. There's a suggestion that maybe we don't have the screenplay because there's a lot of content in there that might be used for an extended version, mm-hmm. such as he did for Hateful Eight. But at the moment, this is just speculation. And we kind of just have to speculate on the writing, but Tarantino is a very well-known screenwriter for most filmmakers and writers we kind of have a sense through reading Pulp Fiction, Reservoir Dogs, and other screenplays, how he writes. Mm -hmm. So we can continue with some working knowledge of Tarantino's identity as a screenwriter. I mean, he obviously has a very distinctive, unique voice. I mean, there's no one else like him at all. He's got a very specific way of writing his stories. And that brings up something I really kind of wanted to talk about in regards to the Academy Awards and in regards to just screenwriting when it comes to the visual medium as well is you know doing this made me wonder does everybody read all the scripts for the Academy Awards because that is a lot of scripts or do some people some writers you know because I could imagine people in this industry are very busy I can't I mean or do people just watch the film and by watching the film, they're dissecting the story, they're dissecting the plot, they're dissecting the dialogue, they're dissecting all these different things without having to read the script. So that was very much a, a thought of mine while doing all of this. And I, I don't know the answer to that. It's just it's just something worth kind of bringing back to screenwriting as well. At the end of the day, it's a very visual format. Ultimately, well, Tarantino would disagree, which is he writes scripts like their books and he publishes them like their books or, you know, so there's different takes, but overall I think most people see them as blueprints for something that's going to be seen as a more of a visual story. So anyways, that was just sort of my, my, my wondering about the Academy Awards in general is if everyone actually does read these scripts or they just watch the films and think, Oh yeah, that, I think, can you make a decision just by watching the films or do you think, you have to read the scripts in order to make a valid choice in the matter. Well, this is obviously the first time I've ever tried to read all of the nominated screenplays in the two weeks before recording an episode about them and trying to summarize them, talk about them intelligently, and and really have all of the stories in my mind and try and make up a decision as if I was an Academy judge. So... It was a lot of work. That was the first thing, to read nine of them over the course of just over a week, I think we we gave ourselves the timeline of. It took up a lot of time. They take as long as films take to read, unless you have The Irishman, in which case it takes about an hour (laughs) less. (laughs) Right. But otherwise, yeah, it does take a very long time to read them. I would imagine that there is probably a lot of film watching going on. But what I've learned, probably the biggest takeaway from doing this process, not just the podcast and reading a screenplay 
and analyzing it, comparing it to its source material, really getting involved with that and, and comparing it to the film. But just trying to do it, all of this at high speed, trying to do this for nine films, ten really, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is this discovery that some screenplays are distinctly different to the films that come mm. out from them. I'd say The Two Popes and Little Women, just from the ones we've already talked about, dramatically different on the page as they are as films. The Irishman, definitely the pacing is entirely different on the page. Joker and Jojo Rabbit felt very much like the films we saw. And then Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we don't know everything about it, but certainly Tarantino has probably written this in a way that will describe a lot of the background details about characters going off into side stories that never made it onto the screen. So I think it is fair to say that the only way to fully judge this category properly is to read the screenplays, as opposed to saying, I enjoyed the story of this one more than the story of that one. I think what we've learned through what we're doing is that a screenplay is it's made up of very basic components, dialogue, action lines, scene headings, some bolding, some underlining here. You can describe things that might cost millions of dollars to put on the screen. You can mm. describe it in words. The spaceship explodes. So Budget is now 20 million. Exactly. You, the screenplay has to be read as a separate entity in order to judge this category effectively. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I only ask also because these are the nominations, but people must have had to have read way more than that to come up with the five nominations for each category. Do you know what I mean? That's like, that's a lot of scripts to read. Yeah, we're talking hundreds. And I wonder if, do you think Tarantino not submitting or not releasing his script hurt his chances of not winning the best screenplay? We don't know. Uh, I personally think, well, I haven't read a screenplay, but I personally think they made the right choice just in terms of what I saw on screen. But I wonder if reading the script could have changed perspective on that. Yeah, it seems unlikely that when you compare the two films, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood against Parasite, that the screenplay to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would still edge out Parasite. It seems unlikely. Yeah. But as we'll get to Parasite eventually, we can talk about its own strengths and why we think that is. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I do think that the screenplay itself is very eagerly awaited, that fans of Tarantino's work enjoy reading his screenplays, yeah. enjoy having his personal description of how he first envisioned the project to turn out. And so I do think that's important, especially as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood has been one of his more controversial films. It's important to hear his full voice about it, his full perspective on it, in the same way that we, through reading this, we listen to Greta Gerwig's full ambition and belief and passion for her project mm -hmm. that was what came through most strongly about little women was her passion for it and so i think something like that is probably the case with once upon a time in hollywood as well well i would say you know even though i didn't read the script i do think it's his most mature writing in terms of really digging a little bit deeper into his characters i mean it does seem that by the way he comes up with the best names you know cliff booth and Rick Dalton, he's great at writing character names. 
And just spending time with each character and giving them their weight, their proper weight. Uh, when I first saw the film, I was a little disappointed that Sh uh, Sharon Tate in the film played by Margot Robbie was not given that much to do. And it felt very, why is she even in this? If you know, It just seems like the end goal or an appeal for people to come see the film because it's the one thing that did happen or kind of did happen. He changed history again. But thinking about it again, it's 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 kind of like a fairy tale. You know, she's kind of at the center of it. It's this Hollywood dream. She represents that dream. And, you know, you have one man who's kind of losing his his grip on that dream. He's a has-been. And then you have his best friend who is kind of removed, but he's happy where he is in life. You know, he doesn't have the same desires that Rick Dalton has, which is causing him misery. And so it's kind of seeing both sides of this fairy tale and having Sharon Tate as the center of it in which it revolves. I thought the the metaphor all of a sudden became very clear to me as to what that could potentially mean for me anyways, what I took from it. So, you know, it, it's a, it's another layer that I kind of uncovered watching it again that I really appreciated about it that I didn't see the first time. Yeah, even more than the screenplay, it's, it's going back to the outline. What's at the heart of the story he was trying to tell? Because... It is very distracting having so much, there's so much going on in terms of what his ambitions are as a visual director mm -hmm. that often it is hard to really pick apart, okay, what what is the story on the page here and what is the spectacle we finally, his films are full of music, mm. performance, inexplicable visuals all of the time. There's all of this going on. So there's a lot to think about. I won't pass too much judgment on the screenplay itself. Rather, I'd say I think there's more to come. I think there's there's more to learn about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It'd be great to do like a Tarantino episode. But, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we should. But moving on, uh, what do you have next? Marriage Story? Yeah, let's talk about Marriage Story. All right, Marriage Story, I loved. I thought it was a great read as well. I thought... I loved how it didn't go into the melodrama, given the subject. I mean, there are a couple of scenes that do hit that. But I loved how, you know, you have these two characters who are given equal weight and how you find yourself siding with one and then siding with the other and then kind of going back and forth. I love that it didn't make you pick one over the other in terms of whose fault it is. It's very much a realistic story of just two people who whose decisions ended up hurting each other and ended up dissolving a relationship and what i really love about the the script as well was that i love the beginning when they're describing each other i thought that was very beautifully written and very beautifully put on screen because you're getting to know these characters very very quickly but through the perspective of the other which I thought was very clever. So it doesn't feel like exposition, even though it kind of is a little bit. You're getting to know who these people are. And what I love about it too was that it has these very long scenes. Like it could easily be a play. It has a lot of depth in its dialogue and it reveals a lot in very small moments. And I think every scene speaks a lot to who these characters are. I, I thought it was really, really greatly written. Yeah, these two letters that open the screenplay are an absolute masterstroke because they're giving us this barometer with which we can measure 
all of their later actions and their transformations. Mm -hmm. We can see the things that they lie about. We can see the things that they are not aware about about themselves. It just gives us this ability to understand them very quickly, which is something that is very hard in cinema. It's something that television has this advantage over cinema in that you can have watched 30 previous episodes and know a character mm. very well, and then an, a new episode can be really hard-hitting. That when you're trying to introduce these characters, to, to you need to get it done quickly to the audience, but not too quickly that it feels like you're just thrusting their whole life story on you. Right. And it did work really well. If we think of character as who you really are when you're under intense pressure, then that is at the heart of marriage story. The moment that Nicole involves the lawyers is the moment that the heat gets turned up on both of them. And we really find out what they're actually made of. This is something that, as I was mentioning, perhaps maybe it's missing a little bit in Little Women, for example. or It's kind of there in Joker. It's kind of there in The Irishman. But Marriage Story really turns up the heat on its characters. It makes them have to decide, am I going to sacrifice my work? Am I going to sacrifice my goals, my ambitions, because this other person is making me? Or am I going to fight for myself and win? Therefore, the plot is very simple. It's pushing and pulling from either side. But the actual story it tells is this transformation of character that is all happening because of the divorce. There's a lot of energy behind the dialogue. The arguments are very gripping. And the long monologues are especially engaging. I feel that it did start out quite slow as a screenplay. And then it became very gripping once the lawyers were involved. So that was something like 40 to 50 pages in. After that, though, I found it a script that was very hard to put down. It surprised me. And it turned out to be much better than I had thought as a screenplay. And so... I think it did very well to have you side with either character alternatively because we, as humans there always is a good and a bad side mm -hmm. and something that might be really good for you might be terrible for someone else and something that's really good for someone else might be terrible for you. It, it was a tightrope walk of a screenplay mm -hmm. and they walked the tightrope and they stuck the landing as well. It was, it was really, really good. It was good because at the end of the day it kind of has a, it doesn't end on a sort of bitter sad note you know there's it's it's realistic but it also has a a very positive outlook onto what a, the dissolving of an of a relationship can be and the other thing too is once they bring the lawyers i feel that in a way is their true voice or at least what they want to say i think part of the reason why it's a little bit slow in the beginning is because there's a hesitance from both of them to really acknowledge how they really feel about each other what's not working i think that was part of the problem in their relationship was that there was no communication mm -hmm. they're telling it their lawyers are telling each other stuff that they probably should have been telling themselves like you know way back so i think in a way the lawyers serve as what they really want to say and i think eventually they do have that big scene towards the end where a lot is unpacked but it takes a while for them to get there we don't get any of these crazy fights between these two characters as a movie about a divorce would imply you know you're having other people fighting their fights and i think that's what was so gripping about the story was that well how do they really feel you know you have the lawyer yelling at 
the other lawyer, but they're civil with each other. Yet, you know, they're not really feeling that civil. So I think that was part of the intrigue, which was masterfully done because it keeps you wanting to see, well, how how are they really going to solve this without the lawyers and one-on-one? So it, yeah, it was it was it was a greatly structured script for sure. Yeah, passive characters kill screenplays, and it's almost just a false sense of security. These are by no means passive characters. We just feel that they might be early on. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to 1917, written by Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns. 1917. Uh, I felt 1917 was visually a very gripping film. I kind of wish this would have been swapped with Lighthouse. I think this is the weaker of the all the scripts in terms of story because it's very, very visual. I mean, you're on a story journey that's wholly dependent on what's physically happening on screen because they're in the trenches, they're at war. The threats, the stakes are all very physical it's not necessarily anything too emotional or too intellectual or anything like that um which is fine you know i think it was a it was a great journey to watch on the big screen i think it's a story about the human spirits and and you know the a story about survival and and how much you got in order to keep going forward and there was not that much story in terms of what these characters backstory is too much we don't really see too much of what their opinion is on anything too much you know you have and that's kind of both its strength and its weakness more its strength because you can then go on this journey with them a little bit more fully focused on what's happening physically on screen what the stakes are if you start adding too much story to these characters and you're taking away from the immediate danger that is the trenches and and all this stuff and i think that's kind of what he was going for you know it's it's to put you in this no man's land as realistically as possible because you don't have soldiers talking about what their opinions are on different things while they're going to battle. I think it's realistic in that way. When you're in that story, in that position, your main focus is to survive. And I think it was being true to that. And I think there's nothing wrong with the script. It's a really good story. The dialogue I thought was really well done. The places in which they they shift the story something happens midway through that i was slightly surprised by that shifts the story a bit as well that i really liked but nonetheless i do think it's a very thin story so i felt like this slot could have been given to a, a much more complex script like the lighthouse yeah it, it is one of my favorite films of the last year absolutely so i'm already starting out with that perspective i had seen the film before i read the screenplay what we've got in terms of characters are everyman-style characters. They represent the basic model for young British men who lived and often died in the trenches during those years. And so it's trying to tell a, a more universal historical story. It's looking at these characters through that lens. There's limitations in, in what it's doing. In, in order to have this whirlwind tour of a battlefield, a race against time, there's something at stake, but in a way there isn't because it's a metaphor for the futility of the war as well. Mm-hmm. The thing that's at stake isn't really at stake at all. Everyone is doomed, ultimately, unless they can make it to the next year alive. 
surviving one day in 1917, the war's not going to be over. They, they have to live through so much more, and we're kind of aware of that as an audience. So one of the limitations it faces is dialogue, a big part of screenplays. How do you incorporate dialogue into this journey where you have to follow the primary characters? And so it's all about conversation. It becomes a lot more conversational. And dialogue is only possible with characters they come into contact with. Mm -hmm. This is not an era of mobile phones or walkie-talkies. If you're not face-to-face with this character, Mm -hmm. you can't have dialogue with them. Otherwise, the whole story would be pointless anyway because it's about delivering a message. (laughs) So (laughs) it's it's important that they have to physically travel with their message. But one of its strengths in the dialogue, I think, is the way that it captures male bonding the way that there's this kind of begrudging feeling at the beginning or the sense that it's somehow unnecessary to open up, but it just happens naturally over the course of their time together. There's a reason why, you know, a bottle episode concept in television is so effective. It's when you trap all your main characters in a space for the duration of an episode and the dialogue is what carries them. Mm -hmm. It's the revelation that comes through that. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe 1917 doesn't have the same level of revelation that the two popes was able to do with a similar technique, though. Um, the plot is quite straightforward. It's There's one goal, there's one objective, and there's just one chance to achieve it. So we get very focused on the, the main plot, and the little side plots tend to shine a light on many of the other aspects of the battlefields. There's the themes, I think, are the strong parts of mm-hmm. 1917. And uh, a friend of mine, Ben, put this really well. He called it the reluctance to be chosen and the unwillingness to quit when you are chosen. Mm-hmm. That's at the heart of that that fighting spirit that somehow endured through that war. Mm-hmm. And I think, ultimately, it's very ambitious. There's this no-one-is-safe, tense feeling throughout the film. Whereas as a screenplay, yes, you are reading a lot of description of what needs to happen and when, what needs to happen and when. It does capture a lot of the horror of the battlefield, though, I think, if when you're treating it as your own imagination, how are you going to look at this and imagine everything happening? Ultimately, it reminded me of Gravity a little bit as a film mm-hmm. on rails. Mm-hmm. But sometimes saying a film is on rails can be a bad thing. But in this case, it's the fact you can't get off the ride that gives you a tiny sense of what soldiers had to endure for years compared to your brief experience of just two hours in a theater. I think that's what it, its real strength is. It's it's claustrophobic. It doesn't let you go. It doesn't let you run away. It doesn't let you go explore elsewhere. It just keeps you with them for the whole journey. So the screenplay set that out. That's its intention. It described how to go along that journey. So it is a strong, it is a strong screenplay in that sense. But you're right; it is a stronger film overall, and perhaps something like The Lighthouse or there's many other great screenplays from the last year. They could have occupied this place. Yeah, I think if we're talking about you know scripts in particular, then yeah, I think Lighthouse would have a. I think it's a, a superior script, but if you're looking at it visually, I thought it was 19, even though Lighthouse was also very visually beautiful as well. But I think... It got a cinematography nomination. 
Yeah, which it's only one, but yes. And, but you're right. It's, it's kind of, you're on a ride and it's immersive in that way. And I think like gravity, it's wholly dependent on, uh, just a small group of characters Two and gravity had one. So I think for 1917, I think what Sam Mendes said, because a lot of people said that it was a bit of a gimmick, you know, that it's just, you know, one take. And I think he said something that was very interesting. He said that, you know, the gimmick is actually editing because in real life, there is no editing. You only have one perspective. You're you're never cutting to wide shot of where you are, you know, mm. it's uh, unless you imagine it. That's but, a very good insight. But I think he was saying, well, I'm actually just being more true to what life is, which is just, just one continuous shot. It's never cut. And I thought that was very, yeah, I thought that was a very uh, cool thing, a cool perspective as well. And you feel that, you know, you're, there are times where you do kind of wish that would cut to something else, but you're, you're sort of strapped in for this riot and what they're going through. And it's two hours, like you said, and these two hours, you see the horror, you see the pain, you see the loss, you see all this stuff. And, you know, compared to the amount of days, years even that these soldiers had to go through, I think it's a very, a very powerful, immersive slice of life that the film did, which, uh, yeah, it was beautifully done. Great. Let's talk about Knives Out now by Ryan Johnson. This is, it's a very interesting screenplay because it, it, treads a very fine line between being a classic murder mystery but also having a strong 21st century vibe and a lot of jokes that are plucked straight from the headlines stuff that yes. we're talking about today in the same way that long shot was updated for 2019 it had that vibe it had that timely feeling to it knives out so i think let's take a look at it in terms of the story and plot is complicated and I'm not a mystery writer. To me, it's just as much of a marvel to see how a mystery writer works as it is for someone who doesn't write at all to see how other novelists work. I honestly couldn't do this. So technically, it's really impressive. You need to know your story inside out. Oh, yeah. And uh, I saw this picture that he took of like a page of one of his earlier notes, and it has like a bit of a map up to the chronological order of everything and it's so detailed and you know it's kind of like how christopher nolan writes you know where it's nothing it's rarely very chronological in the way it's told but reading it watching it it felt very confident it felt it felt confident because it flowed you know it, it gave you the information that he wanted to give you at that time because by giving you that information at that moment, it was gonna play. It was gonna play with your expectations of to the next scene, and it was gonna plant seeds of doubt or seeds of suspicion for the following scene. So he's like very meticulously giving you hints, giving you little foreshadowings, but it never felt. That that's the brilliance of this: is that it never once felt false, or it felt inorganic, or or not once that it make you see the strings behind of like, ha, and you know, I want you to pay attention to this. I thought about this. I'm like, why is it that it doesn't feel that way? And I think part of the reason why it doesn't, it's because these characters are so interesting because this family has its own dynamic, its own layers of uh, 
relationships with one another that I think that was also the intrigue. You want to know more about like why does why do these people not get along and what's the story behind this guy and I think that's driving the story as much as the mystery itself and I think that's why it's able to play so organically. I think we're given the 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 way he died it's revealed fairly early in the film but yet there's still all these mysteries to resolve and so i think that that was part of its charm is that these characters are very interesting and they were all very well cast and it's just a it was a joy to read and it was a joy to watch so thinking about dialogue in particular not only does dialogue need to be engaging but it also needs to both tell you what you need to know but in a murder mystery, it also needs to distract you so you can't quickly figure out everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. It's all part of this very intricate puzzle. That's the part for me that is so remarkable about this is that it's the extent to which your dialogue needs to both be a setup and also false mm-hmm. and carry just enough insincerity, enough trickery within it to get the reader to go down slightly the wrong track for just enough time but also keep things believable when they find out what's really going on having the ensemble cast all of the characters being quirky and interesting in their own way they're all types using quotation marks but you can project individual qualities onto each of them they can't be too simple otherwise Mm. you can predict what they'll do and the whole premise will fail So they need to reserve just enough mystery to keep us guessing. So I think this film, having looked at the screenplay and having watched the film, is a great example of performance adding or detracting from character. For me, Daniel Craig didn't quite convince me as a Southern gentleman. And his his accent was a little bit off, for example, and it felt like, okay, if you don't have quite the right actor for the role that you've written, maybe it's worth revising the writing. Maybe it's worth revising the story and just giving a little bit of freedom to the actor to be something else. Because his his accent was so unconvincing, it almost felt like, okay, he's going to reveal that he's actually someone else all <laughs> along. <laughs> it's right. that type of film. So, yeah, there's some good themes are the they're quite typical uh for a murder mystery there's greed there's the family values but it was just a very enjoyable story and it was just a masterclass in how you might go about writing one of these things it might lead to a revival of these kind of films there's a suggestion that perhaps the daniel craig's character might be one that would reappear in sequels and you'd have different mysteries each time. So there's there's definitely a very strong premise in Knives Out. I'm I'm surprised it was nominated for an Academy Award considering what it is. Oh, you mean it's genre? It's genre. But when you consider that it's such a good example of that genre, mm. it makes more sense. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's the, the confidence in which it's, yeah, I don't even know how to, you would, pinpoint what why it feels confident except that for me it's just it's revealed in a, in a very organic and very purposeful way and i think for me daniel craig's character for example yeah you're right his accent was i don't know what that was really but it was so entertaining and i think the spirit of the character was so alive 
that every time he was on screen, it was, it was like I loved I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was ridiculous in the, in the best way, which is very hard to do. You know, he it could have gone the other way for me. I enjoyed it. I thought it, I thought he was great. Wonderful. So let's talk about Parasite now. The eventual winner, written by Bong Joon Ho and Han Jin Won. Parasite absolutely deserved to win. For sure. Already when I was reading it, and this is before. Did you read the, it before you watched it? I read it before I watched it, and this was also before the awards. It stood out to me as probably the best screenplay I've read in a very long time, even edging out The Lighthouse. I think if they had been up against each other, Parasite still would have won. Yeah, There's something absolutely dynamic about this screenplay that once you get involved in the lives of these characters and their deception, you feel like you just can't stop. You can't stop reading. You have to find out what is going on, who is going to succeed in in this. As the stakes get raised, as the deception becomes more and more complex, you're just waiting for it to all fall apart. It was just so masterfully un folded i think it's a, not a slow burn because it, it the pacing is always there but watching the first 10 minutes you compare the first 10 minutes to the last 10 minutes what a journey from there to there and how yeah. quickly things just kind of unraveled and i it was a great mixture of different genres as well you can't really quite categorize it into one which is part of the reason why i love it so much it's not a horror film it's not a comedy it's not i mean it's all of those things really and it's effortlessly all of those things it, it never makes you the comedy is always organically coming out of those situations it, it all feels very plausible i think part of the brilliance for me is how the plot is driven by the characters reacting to circumstances, which I think that in its root is what good screenwriting is, is when you feel that the story is moving forward because a character is reacting to something and by reacting to that thing, it's also revealing something about them. And you're getting both story and character. So you're getting more involvement in who these people are and you're getting involvement into what the plot is as well. And I think it was just, yeah, it was... Brilliant. I was I was blown away. I, I saw the movie first and I was blown away. And then I read the script and it was great too. But it is uh yeah, I mean I didn't know what to expect really. Uh I thought it was gonna be a horror film for some reason. It was almost marketed that way, and the way people were talking about it as if there was this big sinister surprise did set it up as thinking it was a horror story. It was just and human nature. Yeah, that's the the heart <laughs> of it is the yeah. horror is the humanity. All of the characters felt like individuals. I'm going to go back to something I mentioned with relation to marriage story already, which is a character is who you are under pressure. And the poverty that the Kim family is facing, it shows you what they're capable of becoming as a result of these circumstances that are putting them into the worst living conditions. The way it's described in the screenplay actually affected me more than seeing it on screen because the basement in which they live felt mm. just modern enough to be somewhere you could envision living in. But the way it's described in the screenplay just sounded so utterly devastating to be in those conditions. And that's one of the powers of writing is it can put you into a character's position and feel what they're feeling, sometimes 
in a way that just the distance, the security of being just watching something from afar might not always get you involved with. You know, you've got more of the sense of the damp, of the smells, of how horrible mm. it is down there. And you just see who they're capable of becoming under these conditions. You compare them to the Parks, the rich family, and their maid, Moon Guang, and they're the ones you can't really know until we see them under pressure as well. Mm -hmm. Then you start to find out who Moon Guang is when you really see the pressure she's been under. And so there's so much to be revealed. Obviously, we had to read this in translation. The translation was a little bit cheesy at times and very Americanized, so I don't think I can fully judge the dialogue. I know that there must be a lot of particularly Korean ways of expressing things. There's, mm. there's ideas about formality and directness, which just simply do not translate. So all I can really think about is the amount of information that was revealed through the dialogue. And it often did just draw us deeper into that mystery, got us to trust or distrust people at the right times. As you mentioned, the tone wasn't exactly horror, but it was very sinister, and it still felt very grounded in the real world. The themes are hugely important. I think this film will be studied. I think the more that we look at the screenplay, the more that we look at the themes, we will understand what Parasite is truly trying to say about inequality, about who you say you are in this modern world of not really knowing the people that live in your community in mega cities with the internet with forgery all of this stuff there's just so much to talk about and there is a very significant scene later on where the rich family is safe and sound at home while it's raining and the rain brings utter devastation to the people who live in mm. in Seoul yes yeah. yeah there's so much to unpack i would love to certainly take a long look at Parasite in an episode of its own. It's a very deserved winner of best picture, best director, yeah. best original screenplay, and it also won best international feature as well. Yeah, the first time it's uh, an international film has won best picture, yep. which I, it's, it's honestly one of the best films I've seen in a very long time. And I think that the themes that you're talking about, they're so powerfully there because they're rarely talked about they're lived and i think that's the difference between a really good film and a bad film or mediocre film is that the themes are being lived through the characters through their decisions through the story itself no one ever stops to really talk about it they're just the embodiment of those themes and i think that's what was so great about it and the very end the very last shot i think the very last sequence where it's leading you to believe that something's going to happen and then later on, it's like, oh, actually, yeah, right, that will happen. That in itself was like the most powerful statement I've seen in a film in such a long time without really trying to make it a statement. It just felt organically from that story. Uh, it, it, it reminds me a little bit of the Joker in a way. You know, they have parallel themes in which you have a society that there is a huge difference between the people up here and the people down here. There's this huge gap, and out of that desperateness rises something that's ugly, you know? And who is complicit? Like, whose fault is it, really? You know, like you were saying earlier, what's what what's personal and what's more collectively the fault? And those themes I, I find were in Joker and were in this that 
I think are very resonant in today's climate. And I think that's why it was able to resonate with worldwide audiences. It's not, it's not just a Korean film. It's very much a film about everywhere. You know, this is not just a specific Korean situation. And I think, uh, yeah, I loved yeah. it. And South Korea is the Americanized version of Korea. And North Korea is its own thing. It's complete. Right. It's the complete opposite. But the South has been very Americanized. And the inequality that has come with that has come as the result of this pursuit of capitalism. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a lot in it. I think we would do well to discuss parasites separately and many of the i think all of these have their their worthy points uh, things to to think about so if you're listening at home and you haven't read any of the screenplays from this year have a think about which one you might want to tackle and just uh, all of them i think give you a completely different insight into the films themselves and if it's a film you've really enjoyed i think you can only learn from yeah, reading them. I think we've learned a lot from from reading all of them together and trying to compare them and pick for ourselves which we think. And it's funny that in a way sometimes it is quite easy to when you really consider them all put side side by side. Honestly, Parasite stands out as one of the best screenplays ever written. It oh, yeah. stands out. Jojo Rabbit stands out as this really iconic screenplay. It was clearly a labor of love, clearly has a lot of heart and soul behind it. So, yeah, this was a fantastic experience. I'm glad you you suggested to me, Alan, that we would read all of them. And I thought it yeah, did was, sound a bit crazy. <laughs> I was kind of regretting it. Yeah. I was kind of regretting it at times. So I'm like, oh, my God, I have like five more scripts to read. What have I done? <laughs> Uh, but you're right. I think, you know, it's important, I think, for screenwriters to read really good scripts because you're learning as to what is being done right. And I think every single one of these scripts has a voice. Every one of these scripts has important themes. Their characters are very layered. There's a passion to what is being said. And ultimately, I think when you're writing, it is a bit of an extension of who you are as a person, what you care about and what kind of story you want to say. And I think all these scripts were an excellent uh, example of that. So I would highly recommend just reading at least two or three of these. They were, they were a great, great read. Well, that's it for us. I just wanted to get this episode out quickly so that we could talk about this while it's still relevant, while the Oscars, with the Oscars just having happened. If you have any thoughts, feedback, there's always our Instagram page. You can you can leave a comment for us. We also have a Facebook page and a website. We'd love you to get in touch. Let us know which of the latest year's screenplays you'd like us to go on to a deep dive with as well. Yeah, I think, you know, hearing from your guys' uh, perspective in terms of a script that, you know, you guys have a burning desire of being dissected, that would be that'd be interesting to pick. So that's it for this week anyway. Thanks, Alan, for coming in and for all the hard work of reading all of these. It was my pleasure. All right. Goodbye.